So we are studying through the book of Exodus. Take your Bibles and turn to chapter 2. Last time, we talked together about a statement made by A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. And A.W. Tozer makes this statement. It's the first line of his book. It's a great book if you haven't read it. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Tozer goes ahead and writes that it's not what we say or do at any given time, but what we conceive God to be like. And he says that, all of us, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. That's true, isn't it? By a secret law of the soul, whatever we think God to be like, we tend to move toward that image. I want to be clear about our intentions through the book of Exodus. As we study through this book, our aim is to acquire a bigger picture, a deeper appreciation, a more comprehensive understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives. And I believe if we can do that, if we can get a bigger picture of God, then that's a game changer for our lives. Today and next time, we're going to see this attribute of God that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that nothing happens without his direction. We'll see that in the life of Moses. We'll see that in our lives as well. And God is at work in our lives, whether we're in a high time or a low time. If we were to chart our Christian lives, this is when we come to Christ, and this is when we go to heaven to be with him. Our life would not be one straight shot up. Our life would be a series, a journey of ups and downs, of valleys and peaks, of high times and low times. Now, there's going to be progress, or we want there to be progress along the way, so we are further along here and here than we were back. There's got to be progress. But as we look at our life, we go through days, and some days, some great things are happening, some stretches, some great things are happening. God is working in our life. He gives us great blessing. Uh, there's, there's a sense of his presence with us that, we, that maybe we haven't felt before or, or we feel a closeness to him. Sometimes those high times spiritually are going through challenging times in our life. And we realize that God is with us, that he's walking with us through, through, through difficult times. There are low times as well. Some of these low times are, are spiritually dry times. They're desert times. There are times when we feel disconnected from God. It may be brought on by an illness. It may be brought on by some circumstance in your life. It may be brought on by a relationship. But there are those low times and high times. And what I want to argue is, wherever you are, God is working just as much in these high times as he is in the low times. He is at work in our lives every day, in every situation. God's preparing you today for what he wants you to do tomorrow. And we need to see his work in our life. He's preparing us for the next stretch of the journey, whatever you're going through. You may not be able to understand it. It may be confusing to you. But God is working in your life today to get you ready for what he has for you tomorrow. Quick uh, background of Exodus chapter 2. Over 200 years before we start the book of Exodus, you remember that a famine 
has swept over the entire land. The children of Israel lived in this area here, and they were uh, severely impacted by the famine. Now, by God's sovereign plan, one member of their family, a man named Joseph, had been sold into slavery by the brothers. God got him to Egypt through a series of events. He was now second in command of the land, second only to Pharaoh. He knows that a famine is coming. God tells him that. He is able, his, he's able to manage the food supply. He gets the food together in seven years of plenty. And then when the famine comes, he's able to save the nation of Egypt, and he's able to save Israel as well. Israel comes in, and they live in Egypt. They're given that land of Goshen. It's a beautiful land. It's a fertile land. And they live there for 200 years before Exodus starts. They came into the land with 70 people, 70 family members. By the time they leave in the Exodus, which is going to be 430 years later, there are close to 2 million, over 2 million people there. So this halfway point as Exodus starts God has blessed them. He's prospered them. And there are so many people that a new king gets a little concerned about what they're doing. He gets a little concerned about their strategic area here in Goshen. And he says, I'm going to put them in slavery. And I'm going to control the population by throwing the baby boys into the Nile. That's the setting of chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw he was a fine child, a beautiful and healthy child, literally, the Hebrew, in the, in the New Testament, in Hebrews and Acts, that says he, she saw that he was no ordinary child. She hid him for three months. So she hides him in her house for three months as long as she can. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket, probably made it, the papyrus stems, took the stems of the papyrus plant, and she weaved a basket together, and then she covered it with pitch and tar, and then she placed the child in it, put the child among the reeds along the banks of the Nile, in the marsh along the banks of the Nile, and his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now, there are no names in these first passages. We learn of the names later. Moses' dad was named Amram. His mom was named Jochebed. He had an older brother, we'll learn about later, named Aaron. Aaron was three years older. And there was a sister even older than that named Miriam. And she's the one in verse 4 who is standing at a distance to see what's going to happen. We see from the very beginning here, God is sovereignly at work. And he protects Moses as a little baby. He rescues the rescuer. He delivers the deliverer. In God's perfect timing, Pharaoh's daughter goes to the Nile to bathe. She has all her attendants with her, no doubt a, a royal party as she's going to bathe. They see this basket in the marsh, this basket in the Nile, and they send some attendants down to get it to see what's in the basket. Look at verse 6. She opened it, and she saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. The word sorry is the word compassion. She felt a compassion for this child. She saw this baby that, that was going to die, that was going to be put to death, 
that was going to die right there in the river if she didn't do something about it. And, and I can just imagine she had compassion for a mother who would go to such lengths to put this baby in a basket in the Nile. Now, Miriam, the sister, remember, is strategically standing at a distance to see what's going to happen. And think about what she does. She is a Hebrew slave. Pharaoh's daughter is the one who gets the basket. With boldness and a risky move on her part. And with a small open window, she goes to Pharaoh's daughter and she says, how about if I get a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? I mean, think of that. Gutsy move. Bold move. Of course, God is sovereign over all. Look at verse 8. Yes, the Pharaoh's daughter said. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby, the mother, Jochebed, took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, probably uh, child, children were weaned in that day between three and five. So when the child got older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, close to the Hebrew word mean, meaning I drew out. And she said, I drew him out of the water. So here we, got, here we see God at work in Moses' life. God rescues him. In the first passages, first verses here, we see this theme that goes throughout the book of Exodus, the theme of rescue. We're going to see that over and over and over again. The theme of rescue, the theme of deliverance. God is sovereign. God is our rescuer. We see that he protected Moses by his sovereignty. And we also see that God provided Moses with the best of Egypt. Moses was raised in the palace of Egypt. He had the best of everything. He had the best of food. He would have had the best of clothing. He would have had the best education. Think of the top-notch university in the world. That's the university Moses attended. Stephen, in the New Testament, was getting ready to be stoned, first martyr, and he's speaking to the Sanhedrin in his defense, and in chapter 7 of, verse, of, of Acts, he summarizes the story of Moses. And one of the things he says as, as he's putting out the history of Israel to the Sanhedrin in his defense And one of the things he says about Moses in chapter 7, verse 22, he says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Moses was an educated man. And he was powerful as an orator. Now, later on, he's going to use that as an excuse. We'll talk about that. But he was powerful as an orator. He was powerful in his actions. He was raised in the palace. This was a man of standing a man of authority in Egypt. God provided him with that. God sovereignly did that. God knew what Moses was going to need to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. and He gives him everything he needs. He always does. He provides us everything he needs to do what he's calling us to do. He does the same thing today. Whatever you're going through, whatever training you're going through, God's using it to build you, to mold you into the person 
He needs you to be for the next stage of the journey, for the next assignment, whatever it is, the high time or low time. So how's God working in your life? What's he molding you to do? Are you willing to accept that training and get ready for the next stage? Look at verse 11. Forty years have gone by. One day, Moses, after he had grown up, Moses went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. Now, somewhere along the line, in his first 40 years, again, he is an established person in the palace. Somewhere along the line, we don't know who it was, probably it was Pharaoh's daughter, told him the story. Moses, you're a Hebrew. You're raised as an Egyptian. You look like an Egyptian. You talk like an Egyptian. You've been educated like an Egyptian, but you're a Hebrew. And we were walking down the Nile one day, and there was a basket. Your mom put you in a basket, put tar and pitch around it. That's when I first saw you. We brought you out, and you've been raised in the palace, but you are, you're a Hebrew. So he always knew that in his heart, right? Watched, he's walking, he, 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 he went out to where his own people were. Now, again, Moses is writing this. So he's saying, I went out where my own people were, even though I was raised as an Egyptian. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Moses says that twice in the passage, reminding us that he knows who he is. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. Now, again, when Stephen is writing in Acts chapter 7, he says that when Moses did that, Acts 7.25, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to what? Rescue them. But they did not. Here we see something in, in Moses' heart that only God could have placed there. Moses had a heart of a rescuer. God put it there. Early on, early on, Moses wanted to rescue his people. But when you step out of God's timing, it backfires, doesn't it? Look at verse 13. Next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Man, don't, don't you get tired of beating up by the Egyptians? Why would you beat up on each other? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Now, that's ironic because God had made him ruler and judge over them, but not wasn't the right time. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Moses, early on, had the heart of a rescuer. God put it in his heart. He wanted to rescue his people. But here was the problem. As admirable as his desire was, he took matters in his own hands. He took his God-given passion and then put matters in his own hands. And the problem is this. When you step out of God's timing, you step out of God's will. 
It may be the thing God made you to do. It may be the passion he gave you to do. But along with the passion, along with the gift, along with the training, is this other thing called God's what? His timing. And when we take matters in our own hands and we step out of God's timing, we step out of God's will. And the passion that Moses had one moment to rescue the children of Israel because it wasn't yet God's timing. He was going to do that later on. He'll do that. But it wasn't God's timing. And so the passion he has to rescue them turns into a fear to rescue himself. And he has to run for his life. He leaves Egypt here, probably in Goshen. That's where the people were. He knows that. The Pharaoh knows he's killed someone. The Pharaoh's looking to kill him. And he has to run for his life. And he runs all the way across the Sinai Peninsula, all the way over here to Midian, this area of Midian. Probably this was on both sides of the sea. Now think about the contrast. He's left the best of the best, the fertile ground, the fertile land, palace of Egypt. Now he's living in a barren, dry, hot, Dusty desert. Think about that chart. High times and low times. Times when we say, God, this is fantastic. And times when we wonder, God, what in the world are you doing? Here's where we see one last thing under God's sovereignty, if you're taking notes. God protected Moses. He provided Moses with the best of Egypt. And then God rescued Moses and sent him to the next stage of his journey. God said this to Moses, look, you were, you, were, you were educated in the best universities of Egypt. Now, you're going to be educated in my university. I've got you away from Egypt. I've got you on your own. I've got you in an area where you're, 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 all your support system's gone. You're by yourself. And I'm going to work on your heart. And that's what we see God do in the rest of this passage. God's gracious training. Here's a cool thing that God does right off the bat. He, he gives Moses an opportunity to confirm the heart of a rescuer. Check out verse 17. Moses, Moses goes to, to Midian. We don't know how long he was there, but he sat down by a well. And seven uh, daughters of the priest, rule comes out to water their, their sheep. They are shepherdesses. And they come out to water the sheep. Look at verse uh, 17. Some shepherds came along and drove these seven daughters away. But Moses got up and came to their what? Rescue. And watered their flock. I think that's fascinating. Here's what I believe God's saying. Moses, when you were that hot shot in the palace of Egypt. And you saw Israel uh, being oppressed. You were ready to rescue. It wasn't my timing, but you were ready to rescue. And that would have been a pretty big deal to deliver Israel from Egypt. Wasn't my timing. 
Now, I want to see if you still have that heart. Not quite as glamorous to rescue seven shepherdesses from bully shepherds, is it? When no one else is watching, no one else cares, no rewards for it. But that's what Moses does. When God plants that passion in your heart, whatever that passion is, you can't not do it. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, even, even when you've had to leave what seemed to be the great place of you thought was God's will, and now he has you over here. It's still his will, by the way. He's still working. He works just as much at the high times as he does at low times, more sometimes than low times. But God wanted to see, is that heart still there? So maybe you're going through a tough time. You're out in that barren desert. God's still looking at your heart. And he's wondering, are you willing to serve me just as passionately here in the desert when no one's really looking, when no one really sees at some unglamorous stuff as you were back in Egypt when everyone was looking? And you could have been the great deliverer. Is your passion still there? And it is. God confirms that Moses' passion is still there. Rule has these seven daughters. He gives one. Moses stays with him uh, in uh, Midian. He gives one of his daughters to Moses as his wife. And here we see they have two, they have two boys. And in the birth of those boys... We see that God is working on Moses' heart. We see what he's doing in his heart. The first boy is named Gershom. That word in Hebrew uh, means an alien there. And Moses, when he named his son, so often we saw in Genesis, when when a father or mother named their son, it had something to do with the circumstance. Moses is saying, I am an alien in a foreign land. I'm not supposed to be here. God has me here, but I'm not supposed to be here. So we see see God working in Moses' heart. There's an unsettledness there. He knows where he is. He knows God's working, but he knows he's not supposed to be there. It's not going to be for long. He is an alien in a foreign land. He also has a second son. We don't hear about this son. We don't get the son's name until Exodus chapter 18. But he names that son Eliezer, which means my God is helper. And so here he is, away from his support system, away from what he's known, away from his people, an alien in a foreign land, but he still says, God, you're all I've got. You're my helper. I'm going to depend on you. And Moses started discovering that dependence on God. When he was back in Egypt, he took matters in his own hands. He didn't need God. He had the best of of Egypt. He had the best education. He had authority. He had power. He lived in the palace. Why would he need God when you live in a palace? But in Midian, a hot, dry, barren desert, by yourself. You need God, don't you? And God said, got you just where I want you, Moses. I have you just where I want you. And God was working on his heart the entire time. By the way, 40 years in Egypt, and he's 40 years 
in Midian. Forty years, God molds him into that leader he needs him to be. One more thing I think is fascinating in this passage. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. By the way, uh, Jethro is the same guy that's his, his first name was Rule. And Rule means friend of God. But for some reason, he changed his name to Jethro. We have no idea why. Jethro means his excellency. Friend of God. His, maybe he was going through a midlife crisis or something. We don't know what happened. But he changes his name to his excellency, Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, that verse is just, just gives us some facts, but it's a packed with significance. Moses is, uh, is right here, living in here someplace, right? And he, for 40 years, shepherds Jethro's sheep. For 40 years, he takes them into pasture lands up in this area, right? For 40 years, he takes them out during one season and then back in during the next. For 40 years, he knows the best places in the area to spend the night. He knows the places in the area where the water is. He knows the places in the area where the, where the wild animals stay. He knows the places in the area to stay away from for 40 years. He knows that area like the back of his hand. Now, why is that important? Because that's where he's going to lead the children of Israel for 40 years as they wander in the desert in this area right here. God was preparing him the whole time. Not just intellectually, not just his heart, but God was giving him the skills to know where to lead the children of Israel. Now leading a bunch of sheep going to be different than leading two million people. But there's still places you need to stay away from. Still places you need to go find water. Sometimes God just provided that on his own. God needed Moses to know the area. God never wastes our time, does he? He, uh, this verse, verse 1, and we'll talk more about this next time, but verse 1 talks about he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, Moses is writing this after the fact. Moses is writing this when the children of Israel are wandering in the desert. Horeb wasn't known as the mountain of God at that time, but now it is because now we know that Mount Horeb, it could be located here or it could be located here. We're not for sure. But what's another name for Mount Horeb? Anyone know? Mount Sinai. Can you read that? S-I-N-I-A. I... Mount Sinai, if you can't read it, it's Mount Sinai. And you know what happened at Mount Sinai? That's where Moses went to get the law. That's the mountain God sent Moses up, a mountain he was already familiar with. He'd been around it for 40 years. Go up in the mountain for those 40 days, 
to get the law summarized in the Ten Commandments. Yeah, God never wastes our time, does he? He never wastes our time. From the palace to the desert, 40 years learning the lay of the land, God trained Moses in every aspect to be the leader he needed him to be. And then when he's 80 years old, sends him back to get the people. Let me wrap this up with four lessons or four applications. Number one, discover your passion. What did God create you to do? What did God create you to do? Could you write that down right now? Here's what God made me to do. Here's the passion he put in my life. It's something I can't help but do. It is burning inside me. I have got to do this. I have got to be this type of person. I have got, now, and don't just think spiritual things. God, God, God made some of you great leaders. And whatever you do, you lead. You can't help but lead. You, you, if you're in a group, you're a leader of the group. God gave you the gift of leadership. For some of you, God gave you the gift of mercy. You can't help but be merciful. That's what you think of the first thing. All these gifts God gave you, you can use them in different ways, but always for His purposes, always for His glory. How are you using the gift of leadership for His glory? How are you using the gift of hospitality for His glory? How are you using the gift of mercy for His glory? How are you using the gift of management for His glory? All these gifts He's given us. How are you using this? What's the passion that God has put in your life? Nancy Harrison has a gift of teaching and a passion for children. Last night, we were on the floor, and the children came in. I didn't think I was going to get her back. She went and talked to all the kids. She has a passion for children. It's like a magnet. The kids were there. She was there. What's your passion? What can't you stay away from? God's made you for a special purpose. He has great things for you. What's your passion? Discover it. Secondly, trust God's timetable. That was Moses' first problem. He had the passion. God put the heart of a leader, a rescuer, a deliverer. He just, he just went outside of God's timing. Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? How many times have leaders, how many times have we failed when we, when we have the passion to do what's right, we just, we just get ahead of ourselves, take matters in our own hands. So be willing to wait on God. Third, Allow God to redeem your mistakes. Don't let your past paralyze you. How many of you here have made a mistake in the past? All right, a couple of us. Sometimes the mistakes are, are pretty significant. Sometimes there's collateral damage. People got hurt. So Satan whispers to us, yeah, you're a child of God, and that's fine. But he can never use you. How could he use you? The people you've hurt, but the times you've failed, seriously? You think God could use you? So many Christians hobble home, convinced that their past mistakes 
paralyze them to make any significance in their lives and lives of their family and their worlds. And what a, what a lie from Satan. Moses stepped out of God's timing, killed an Egyptian. It's pretty, that's, I would say those are pre, two pretty good mistakes, wouldn't you? God says, okay, you need a little more training. You're not quite ready yet. But I'm not giving up on you. I got great things for you, Moses. I made you to be a rescuer. I made you to be a deliverer. And you're going to be that person I made you to be. Man, God has great things for you. God has fantastic things for you. Don't allow past mistakes to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Finally, God's preparing you today for what he wants you to do tomorrow. God is preparing you today for what he wants you to do tomorrow. Maybe a high time, he's preparing you. Maybe a low time, he's preparing you. Maybe a time of great blessing, he's preparing you. Maybe a time of confusion, he's preparing you. Maybe a time when you're wondering if on Monday you still have a job, he's preparing you. He's not wasting your time. He's a sovereign God. He's in control. Got some tests you're getting back tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen. You're worried sick. God's in charge. He's preparing you. He's got great things for you, great plan for you. He's getting you ready for the next step of the journey. He's molding you today for the person he needs you to be tomorrow. Man, we see that in Moses' life. We see that in the lives of many other people too, don't we? So Nancy was born in Salisbury, Rhodesia. Now it's the country of Zimbabwe. She was raised in a Christian home, and by God's grace came to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior at the age of 11. From early on, God placed in Nancy's heart a passion to teach children. And she was teaching Sunday school when she was in high school. Later, she graduated from a teacher's college in Zimbabwe, and there she met a young man named Gordon. And that's where Nancy and Gordon Hairsign's romance began, and a marriage that has lasted now for 54 years. Nancy began her career as an elementary teacher, both in the public and private schools, and then later she taught Bible education in the public school in Salisbury. But her passion was children and telling children about Jesus. In order to reach children for Christ, Nancy wrote a curriculum for a vacation Bible school and then directed that vacation Bible school outreach. The first day, there were 208 kids there. By Wednesday of that week, there were 350 kids there the largest vacation Bible school that had taken place in Zimbabwe to that point. Out of that vacation Bible school came a hundred kids that stuck and, and, and started going to the Sunday school of that church. And then that turned into a youth group of 40. And all that was in preparation, the goal, the purpose of starting churches throughout Zimbabwe. Gordon was a successful businessman. 
during that time. Also, a passion to tell others about Christ. So at the age of 36, he quit his, his job and he entered into full-time ministry. Now, Gordon and Nancy had this plan. They, they were going to start multiple Bible schools throughout the country of Zimbabwe, train young people, and then these Bible schools, as young people were trained and invited their parents, these Bible schools would become churches throughout Zimbabwe. And they realized to do that, they needed more training. So in 1973, September of 1973, they moved to Chicago, where Gordon first studied and then later taught at Emmaus Bible College in Chicago. Nancy, of course, was always working with the children. She and Gordon attended a a church, and they said that as soon as they showed up, the children's ministry doubled. It had two, and with their two girls, now it had four. Doubled, just like that. (laughs) But soon, Nancy had grown that children's ministry to 50. She also ran Friday night Bible clubs and directed vacation Bible schools. Again, remember, the original plan, we all have original plans, don't we? The original plan was to get that training and go back to Zimbabwe. But before it was Zimbabwe, it was Rhodesia. And you remember the conflict that was going on there, the instability. And so they were unable to go back. After 11 years in Chicago, by God's grace, they moved to Pittsburgh in 1984. Gordon pastored a church here in Pittsburgh. Nancy focused on children and, and grew the ministry. Then they, they planted a church in Jefferson where Nancy focused on the children and grew that ministry. And then by God's grace, they came here to the Bible Chapel in 1998, both of them getting immersed in ministry from the very beginning, Gordon teaching adult Bible classes, and Nancy, of course, working with the children and growing the ministry. We invited Nancy to come on our staff in 2001. And she has done such a fantastic job with us being the director of children's ministry, one of the best hires that we have ever made. Being a a children's director of children's ministry here at the Bible Chapel was not Nancy's original plan. But looking back, it was something that he was training her to do all along. When he put that passion in her heart to teach kids in Rhodesia, trained in a Bible school, write a curriculum for vacation Bible school, direct that, and every place she went, she was able to take a children's ministry, do the things you need to do to grow it, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of children coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, turning her passion into eternal stuff. That's what God's calling us to do, isn't it? He's great things for us. He's put a passion in your heart. If you're his child and you're attentive to him, that passion is something you can't not do, just like Nancy. Nancy didn't always have a church staff job when she was doing these things. Any church they went to, 
She had a passion to that. She got involved. That's what God's calling us to do, isn't it? Use our passion for Him. God is preparing you to do great things in His way, in His timing. He never wastes our time. Our challenge is, our call is, to let Him, let the Holy Spirit work in us so that God can do great things for us. Father, we thank You for the study of Moses. We see His, uh, we see his jump in the gun. We see His mistakes. We see Him taking matters in our, His own hands. We see Him murdering an Egyptian and hiding the sin in the sand. And yet, you put within him a passion. A passion to be a deliverer, to be a rescuer. And you sent him off for some training, your training. You got him prepared to do the thing you called him to do. And Lord, you're doing that with all of us here today who know you as our Father. You don't waste our time. You're working in our lives. Some here may be in that high time. And you're using them in a tremendous way. And in that time of, of great blessing, Lord, don't let that person forget that you are their helper. Don't ever let them think. Don't ever let us think that uh, it's by our own intelligence or wisdom or gifts that, that we're making this thing happen. Keep us humbled before you in blessing. And Father, there, there are some going through some tough times. And keep us, uh, keep us dependent on you. My God is helper. That is our theme always. But boy, during those tough times, that theme is, is highlighted in our life. So Lord, do your work. You've got great things for us. Thank you for Nancy. Thank you for the passion you placed in her heart to teach children. And thank you for allowing her to do that throughout her life. And thank you that we were the recipients of that passion and that gift. Lord, we are so grateful for that. We thank you for Nancy in Christ's name.